1: Ladies and gentlemen, 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 you are now listening to to the Fantasy Fantasy Baseball Hour Hour, with Al Melchior.
2: Hello, hello. Happy Wednesday to you all. You are listening to the Fantasy Baseball Hour. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and got a nice show planned for you today. We got a lot of nice daytime baseball going on. I'll check in with those games a little bit later on. Uh, why I do know it's not been going so well for uh, for Zach Godley, uh, but uh, better for, for some other players today. So look at the good and the bad uh, there, as well as looking at the mostly good and some of the bad on uh, Tuesday, Tuesday night's big slate of games. And uh, we're also going to take a, a look ahead, not only uh, to the games in progress, but to the games being played tonight. With DailyRoto.com's Mike Leone, uh, continuing on with our Wednesday DFS segment. Been great so far. No, it's gonna be great today. We've got some meaty things to talk about with with Mike. Uh, wild pitchers. How do you uh, deal with them and their matchups? Talk a little bit about Price and Archer tonight. Lots of good stuff there. Uh, and uh, the big story from yesterday that actually I just missed on yesterday's show. In fact, I think the news came out maybe just a few minutes before going on air. Uh, but uh, anyhow, you all know now that Willie Adamas is up with the Rays and has already hit his first home run and has already hit his first home run off of Chris Sale. <laughs> just uh interesting debut. He did strike out three, two, uh, three times, twice uh, against Chris Sale. Uh, but Adamas did uh, hit his first major league home run and crushed it pretty well, too. Um, I, I did a little bit of research this morning and several notable players in 25, 30, 35 played appearances who have never homered off of Chris Sale. Uh, players like Evan Longoria, uh, Nicholas Castellanos, uh, Jose Ramirez. Uh, but uh, Willie Damas already leaving uh, membership of that group uh, after just his first game. Uh, now, let's not get too attached to Willie Adamas. uh According to uh, Kevin Cash and as reported by, by Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times, he's only here for the duration of uh, Joey Wendell's paternity leave. So only two or three days. So he's going to be back down as quickly as he was up, unless there's a change of plans. But uh, I imagine we'll see him again uh, later on in the year, uh, one of the, the Rays' top prospects. And uh, he's not the only one who uh, from the middle infield who flashed some power on Tuesday. Uh, that's going to be a... Big part of our uh, review of uh, the Tuesday stand up performances. And also a hat tip to uh, my fantasy sports radio colleague, Scott Engel, uh, Scott Engel of, also of Roto Experts, because uh, he's been doing some great reporting and uh, talking to, to players uh, both home and visiting uh, there with the Yankees and Mets. And with the Marlins in town, he talked to Miguel Rojas, who I've talked about quite a bit on the show over the last maybe two, three weeks, about his uh, ascending power. And Scott did a great interview with Miguel, and we're actually going to air that later on in the show as part of just a, a cluster of middle infielders who are hitting with, uh, with some good power. And in, in most of the cases, pretty surprising power. But uh, anyways, back to the news from the last 24 hours. Astros have placed Josh Reddick on the 10-day DL retroactive to May 21st with a leg infection. And I saw a report from the Houston Chronicle that Reddick believes it's from a spider bite, but that has not been confirmed. Uh, but my, I'm, I'm guessing and hoping that this is a minimum 10-day stay. But I've also seen uh, you know cases before where uh, something like a leg infection can be more than the minimum. Uh, so in the meantime, uh, you've got J.D. Davis up. You've got uh, Tony Kemp up. Kemp has actually been playing fairly regularly. And now uh, Jake Marisnyk, uh is, is up with the team again. And uh, I would guess that, you know, there's going to be some split replacing Redick amongst the three of them, Kemp, Davis, and Marisnik. But based on the patterns recently, because also remember Derek Fisher's out. So Kemp has been getting quite a bit of playing time with Derek Fisher on the DL. And I could see that that uh, now with Redick out, even though Marisnik's in the mix, uh, that that's probably not going to slow down for him. So uh, Kemp is somebody who's got a great batting eye, uh, a little bit of stall base potential. We may be talking about a, a limited window here. Maybe it's just a few weeks and you're not really going to pick up a whole bunch of steals uh, from, from Kemp. But uh, it'll, it'll be, uh, you know, I don't know, a situation to watch and somebody certainly in deeper leagues to consider picking up. Uh, Now, according to the Rays, they're going to be placing Jake Faria on the DL prior to their game tonight. And at that time, we'll uh, make the corresponding move to bring up Vidal Nuno from Durham. And they're also going to have to make a move on their 40-man roster because Nuno is not on the Rays 40-man roster. Uh, But uh, Faria exited early last night with a left oblique strain. So he's going to be going on the DL. Uh, and the Rays rotation is just going to be ever shrinking. You've got Archer, you've got Snell, uh, you've got Sergio Romo. So you know, I'm not sure who's who's next. Maybe Chasro. I, you know, I, it's a it's a crazy situation there. But they're they're sort of making it work. In uh, some other injury news, Chris Davis has been diagnosed with a grade one groin strain. So that's the least severe type. But at some point today, uh, the A's are expecting to make a decision about whether or not Davis will have to go on the disabled list. Uh, Mitch Haniger got hit by a pitch in the back of his elbow yesterday. X-rays came back negative, according to the Seattle Times. So he is day-to-day. Uh, fortunately, nothing worse than that. And some other mildly good news uh, from uh, the Mariners in terms of injury. Uh, D. Gordon, who was uh, just recently placed on the DL with uh, his toe fracture, Uh, that fracture turns out to be minor. And Scott Service says that he thinks that Gordon may not have to stay on the DL for much more than the minimum 10 days, as reported by MyNorthwest.com. So all the uh, uh, prognosticating that Matt Modica and I did on yesterday's show about how are the uh, Mariners going to fill all these holes uh, well, first of all, uh, hopefully it looks like the, the hole left by Hanegar is not going to be there for very long. And the hole left by D. Gordon it may be uh, short-lived as well. Not as short-lived, but uh, shorter than, than I was certainly anticipating. So that's, uh, that's pretty good news there. Diamondbacks have placed Steven Souza back on the 10-day DL with a right pectoral strain, which is the same injury he was out with earlier in the year. No timetable for him, but it could be a lengthy stay. Gary Sanchez was moved last night with calf cramps. Uh, Aaron Boone told MLB.com he does not think that they're serious. So that sounds like a day-to-day situation. Also a day-to-day situation for Wilson Ramos, who sustained a left-hand contusion last night. Uh, so according to Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times, uh, Ramos, day-to-day. Matt Boyd was having a pretty nice uh, start on, uh, on Tuesday Uh, but, uh, unfortunately had to, to be lifted early. Uh, he wound up having oblique spasms. Um, so only made it four innings. Well, actually it was uh, four plus. So in the fifth inning he was lifted and, um, he said that he wanted to stay in the game. He, uh, told this to the Detroit news and that he expects to make his next start. Uh, so this was against the twins, uh, Yeah, that's that's uh, Boyd's quote on his injury situation. But uh, we'll stay tuned and see what more we can uh, learn about that one. Also, Jeremy Hellickson, who Matt and I talked about quite a bit on yesterday's show, also wrote a piece yesterday on Hellickson for Rotographs. Um, I'm really, really in on him and what he has done this year, particularly with the increased usage and the improved usage of his uh, knuckle curve. Well, he had to leave in the sixth inning yesterday uh, against the Braves in what was a pretty good start with a blister. Blister's considered minor. According to Chelsea Jane's of the Washington Post, the team's not worried about it. So Helkson, for the time being, is uh, lined up for a two-start week next week. Uh, Road starts at the Orioles, at the Braves. Uh, That will also be one to monitor closely over the next day or so, because he remains, in my opinion, uh, one of the better two-start candidates to pick up on waivers. And I realize he's pretty well-owned in the deeper leagues at this point, but 12-team mixed league, I think he's a very good candidate uh, with the two starts, if he makes them. Uh, in a way, if he's going to make one start, it's good that the Orioles start is first, and the, the Brave start, which I think is the tougher one, uh, comes later. But uh, even though the team's not worried about it, as with Boyd, who says he's not worried about his oblique, Uh, these are situations that you'd be best served to to watch really, really closely. And now it's time for today's Greg Bird report, uh, which changes every day. Uh, So two days ago, I'd reported that he might be back sometime this week. Yesterday, I reported he wasn't likely to be back this week. Today, I'm here to share a report from MLB.com that he could return either Saturday or Sunday this week. So uh, I guess it's still in play for the weekend, uh, according to Aaron Boone. And Boone also said this isn't necessarily a bad thing for Tyler Austin. And uh, the quote from uh, Boone to MLB.com is that Austin's having a big hand in us winning games. So I definitely see a role for both of them, both of them being, of course, Austin and Bird, which sounds great when you hear Aaron Boone say it. But the reality might be that's bad for both of them. If the, if uh, I don't know, unless one is DHing, uh, but I, I think there's going to be enough of a roster crunch there that maybe that's that means neither one gets as much playing time as as would be ideal. Craig Council uh, told the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel that Ryan Braun went through his full pregame workout yesterday. That's Tuesday. Didn't have any issues. Is going to uh, would try again. Today, uh, now, of course, that that would have already happened because Brewers are in the midst of their game with the Arizona Diamondbacks. But that was the plan for Braun. And sometime today, the team will know if Braun is going to be ready to be activated from the DL. uh, He will be eligible tomorrow. So, Ryan Braun could be back as soon as tomorrow. I'm sure there's going to be an update on that. I would guess post-game probably. Uh, Right now, by the way, the Brewers and Diamondbacks in the sixth inning. So, maybe within... An hour and a half or so, uh, we'll know more about Ryan Braun's status for uh, for tomorrow. Jamer Candelario is going to uh, start a three-game ga- three rehab assignment with AAA Toledo today, according to the Detroit News. Jose Bautista yesterday signed a one-year major league deal with the Mets, made his Mets debut with uh, against the Marlins yesterday, hit a double. So his first Mets hit, his first Mets extra base hit. Nationals are calling up Eric Fetty to start against the Padres tonight, and uh, Tyler O'Neill did not homer. I think this does qualify as news. Tyler O'Neill did not homer. I repeat, did not homer in yesterday's game uh, against the Royals. Cardinals and Royals playing again. In fact, they're they may be close to done. It's a two-two tie there, but they're already in the uh, top of the eighth, and so. Marcelo Zuna was scratched from this one. So O'Neal, despite the fact they didn't homer yesterday, was given another start. He has one for three uh, with a single uh, so far in that one. But I did not see prior to the start of this show any update on why Marcelo Zuna was scratched. I did see a report that he was with the team. But um, uh, I'll, I'll maybe see during the break if I can get another update there on or any update on uh, Marcelo Zuna and why he was uh, scratched for uh, today's game against the Royals. All right, so uh, that said, we do have a number of games in progress, but uh, we've got one day game still to come, and that is that Padres Nationals game. Uh, I think I said earlier, it's tonight. It's actually coming up in about uh, 45 minutes. So it's Tyson Ross and Eric Fetty and Juan Soto's batting second for the Nationals, uh, playing left field. Matt Adams back in the lineup against the righty Tyson Ross. Spencer Kebaum getting the start at catcher for the Nats. And uh, Fetty batting eighth, Wilmer Defoe batting ninth for uh, the Padres against Fetty, a right-hander. Um, no Mill Reyes in the lineup. So you've got uh, the outfield of Franchi Cordero, Manny Margot, and Travis Jankowski. Christian Villanueva in there at third base, Rafi Lopez catching. Uh, that's the bulk of your uh, Padres lineup right there. We've got uh, a smattering, actually quite a lot of the nighttime lineups in already, and uh, probably take a deeper look at these in, in a few minutes when we've got Mike Leone from Daily Roto on to talk about the DFS slate. But uh, Braves lineup, that's going to be Luis Gohara making his first start of the year versus Jake Arrieta in the Phillies. Uh, Johan Camargo back in the lineup at third base. Nothing else unusual there. Rangers, uh, Doug Fister versus CC Sabathia hosting the Yankees. And, uh, yeah, nothing uh, much to see there, although uh, no Robinson Torino. So you got Carlos Perez in the uh, lineup and batting ninth for the Texas Rangers. Again, that's against uh, CC Sabathia. And the Yankees, we got Angels, Blue Jays, Tyler Skaggs, and Aaron Sanchez uh, at Rogers Center tonight. We have no Blue Jays lineup, but we do have an Angels lineup. Shoei Otani batting fifth and DHing, looking like a a pretty normal Angels lineup there. Red Sox and Rays lineups both out. David Price and Chris Archer, that's a matchup I'm definitely going to be talking about with Mike Leone in just a few minutes. Down the line. Uh, no Mitch Moreland, so you've got the uh, Benintendi-Bets-Bradley outfield with Martinez at DH and Hanley Ramirez at first. Uh, Ray's lineup, got Daniel Robinson in there, dh I'm going to talk about him a little bit later on in the show. Willie Adama's back in the lineup, starting at short and batting fifth. We've got Pirates and Reds lineups out. Uh, that's Chad Cool and Homer Bailey. We got the Cubs and White Sox lineups both out. Cubs hosting the Indians, White Sox hosting the Orioles. But uh, looks like I am not going to have uh, time to really go over those because uh, we're going to have to head to break in just a moment here. And on the other side of that break, uh, as I've already mentioned a few times, get Mike Leone here from DailyRoto.com. As I said, we're going to talk about the Price Archer matchup and what that means for your pitching selections. On the DFS slate, we'll uh, have a little Luis Gohara talk and what we can expect from his first start of the season. Kyle Freeland poses an interesting dilemma tonight. Talk about some hitters as well. Don't go anywhere. All that good stuff is coming right up after this break. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. This is the Fantasy Baseball Hour. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And uh, as promised, we've got uh, Mike Leone here from DailyRoto.com. Uh, Mike, welcome back to the show.
1: Hey, thanks for having me back, Al.
2: Uh, absolutely. My pleasure. So, uh, really interesting slate tonight. Um, and of course, we uh, got quite a few games in progress But um, we've also uh, got a a pretty good slate for tonight. And one of the things I think is interesting is we've got two pitchers that could be considered aces, David Price and Chris Archer. But um, the rest of the slate, there's there's really not that much great pitching. So is there an obvious choice there with Price or Archer, or do you go with maybe somebody else? Yeah, I think, I mean, the guy who's way
1: up top, but he's more expensive is Jacob DeGrom, and that's going to be, a big decision point if you want to make that spend up for him. And I think you do on this slate, just given how awesome he's been. He's got the best x above above any of the starting pitchers, um, not only on this slate, but in the entire of Major League Baseball. His strikeout rates up to about 34% this year. And the Marlins, you know, they seem pesky early in the season, a team that we weren't realizing a lot DFS upside against. And then you go and you check their 28th in way the runs, created plus against right-handed pitching they've got a strikeout rate that's above league average. So I, I think you want to make that spend for DeGrom on FanDuel, DraftKings. though, Al is where you you might have to decide between Archer and David price and sort of the main combinations there. It's like, do you go Jacob DeGrom and a cheaper Chris Archer or do you pound that mid tier and go Tenta Meida and David price and both price and Archer. Uh, we've seen a lot of volatility from them this season. You don't feel all that comfortable with either one. So uh, at the end of the day, our projection system likes the archer Gram route a little bit more just because Archer is meaningfully cheaper than David Price. He's only $6,700 on DraftKings. That's a $2,100 savings from Price. And even though the matchup is really bad against the Boston Red Sox, the strikeout should be there. You know, we've got Archer actually projected for Uh, a slightly higher strikeout total than David Price. And even though that strikeout total is coming with a lot more risk on the run prevention standpoint, uh, with the $2,100 savings and the ability to play it alongside DeGrom, I'm going to go Archer over Price, although it is tough.
2: Yeah, no, it's definitely a a tough call. And, uh, you know, given Archer's uh, inconsistency, uh, uh, that's, uh, you know, it, it, that probably doesn't feel good <laughs> whichever way you go with that, no he's
1: he's had I, I think half his starts so five of the ten starts he's given up four earned runs or more and it, it seems like we've seen his volatility from him the past few seasons but it's been even worse this year so you, you're not going to feel great but that's kind of what makes this slate fun and challenging you got to decide where to plant your flag
2: uh yeah <laughs> absolutely and uh just uh You know, deal with deal with the consequences as they come. Um, So, uh, you know, but uh, are there other pitching options that you think are worthy of considering? Uh, There are a couple that I I definitely want to get to. And Louise Gohara and and Kyle Freeland. I don't know if you think they're, you know, reasonable plays tonight. But before we get to them, is there anybody else that you consider? The one guy I like, and this would be only for tournaments because, you know, we,
1: we talk about risk with Archer and Price, but the risk is ratcheted up even more here. And that's with Alex Cobb, who has been pretty horrendous this season. But the last four starts, you know, he's averaging six innings pitched. His velocity is up a little bit. And he's someone who's really going to limit walks. He's going to keep the ball on the ground. And against a pretty bad White Sox team, even though it's still a good hitting environment in Chicago, I think Cobb at $5,400, you know, that that's a really cheap price tag. That's someone what you can use and play DeGrom alongside him and still get in some expense at that. So I like that for tournaments. I do not think it's something you want to do in cash games. It's just way too risky given what we've seen from him. But it does seem like he's turning the corner a little bit.
2: Yeah, no, d- definitely is starting to come around. Um well, let's get back to the, the couple of pitchers that I mentioned. Luis Gojara getting his first start of the year. He's made a few relief appearances, uh, certainly not, you know, in the form that uh, we saw from him late last season, but, you know, also has had a, a difficult year personally uh, so far. Uh, but getting a chance to to make a start against the Phillies, uh, something that's very interesting about him. I mean, I, I love the upside. I think a lot of owners love the upside of Luis Gohara. But he's allowed just one ground ball so far this year, uh, which is just, you know, rather amazing. I think the the ground that translates into ground ball rate is really like 5%. Um, so is that something – it's a very small sample. So is that something that worries you at all or maybe something that you actually like or it's just not relevant? It's – I think it's relevant. It is an
1: extremely small sample, but between – the minors, you know, he made three starts in AAA. You know, he had a pretty low ground ball rate there, too, 32%. Not as low as five, but for being in the minors, that's that's a really low ground ball rate, and my concern with Gohara is, our projection system actually likes him okay, because you mentioned there's strikeout upside here, and we love cheap strikeout upside normally, but given that he does have those ground ball concerns, and he just hasn't pitched that well, and on top of all that, I'm just not sure how deep he's going to pitch into the, the game. You know, he's been pitching out of relief at the MLB level in his seven innings. In AAA, he made three starts, and he only compiled 12 total innings among those three starts. So I don't know if you're going to get enough innings and batters faced out of him that you're going to need uh, to do so, you know, to pay off even a cheap price tag. So that's my concern with Gohara. And really, if, if you do think, even though it's a tiny thing, if you do want to play off that ground ball rate, honestly you could look to the Philly side of things and Reese Hoskins's price has come down and we know he's got big time power upside and I think he could go under owned on this slate a little bit so I like that a lot as uh one-off play in tournaments actually kind of going against Gohara, even though Al as you mentioned like long term people and myself included are
2: excited about him yeah no I I definitely am so uh be be watching this game uh you know, even uh, in the leagues where, and I am starting him in a couple of leagues this week, but uh, even in the leagues where I'm not, I don't have a stake in him. Uh, I'm very interested to see how this, this start goes for Gohara. And I, I just want to allude back to something that you, you were talking about in your, your rationale about whether or not to go for Gohara, and that is, you know, the, the concern over the fly ball. And I, I, I kind of heard you frame that as a negative, which, you know, would be obvious, but. Is that ever a positive for you to see a pitcher with a uh, a high fly ball rate? Right? Because there are pitchers. Uh, Eduardo Rodriguez is one. Um, trying to think of some others. But pitchers, who uh, Julio Tehran, who uh, allow a good number of fly balls, but don't give up that much hard contact on them.
1: Yeah, and that's key is the hard contact associated with the fly balls. Because sometimes with the extreme fly ball pitchers, some of them you – Actually, see a, a home run to fly ball rate that's a little bit lower than the league average. So even though they're giving up more fly balls, they're not giving up as many homers as you expect. I know, you know, back when Kershaw first started, you know, he's gotten more ground balls. Recently, he was one of those guys that had like a real low home run to fly ball rate. Um, it, it's a difficult thing to discern nowadays because of the fly ball revolution and everything. The league wide home run to fly ball rate so much higher. So uh, where I do think it's a plus because you do get a lower batted average on balls in play off fly balls. That's just statistically true. A fly ball that's in the park that doesn't leave the park is more likely to be an out than a ground ball or a line drive. So if you get a fly ball pitcher in one of these big parks like San Francisco, uh where fly balls are, are gonna go and die on the track and just not make it for a home run, I think there's definitely times to take advantage of that with a pitcher that might seem really risky. Like you get Eduardo Rodriguez who's got to deal with right-handed batters in Fenway park with the green monster and left. That's like a huge positive park factor for right-handed batters. Like that's not ideal for him. You move him out to a start out West in the big parks in Seattle, Oakland, LA, he might get a bigger boost than your average starting pitcher would moving out West just because, of his tendencies and the fact that a bigger park for a fly ball pitcher matters a lot more where someone like Dallas Keuchel, who's getting ground balls left and right, you know, it might
2: not matter as much if he goes and pitches in
1: Yankee stadium or Fenway park, or if he's pitching in the Oakland Coliseum.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, so I guess we'll see what kind of fly ball pitcher Gahara is over the next few starts. Uh, now going the, you know, in sort of an opposite direction. Kyle Freeland uh lean more towards being, uh, that Dallas Keuchel-type pitcher. Uh, he's got a really interesting matchup at Dodger Stadium tonight because uh, on the one hand, Dodgers' uh, rank is, I think they're, they're third from the bottom in terms of WOBA against lefties. But also, Freeland has one of the lowest percentage of pitches in the strike zone ratios in the major leagues, and the Dodgers are by far the most selective team offensively. So uh, how do you wait those uh, those factors, because there's there's good and bad there in, in Freeland's matchup.
1: Yeah, and it's difficult. And this is a guy that I like in like spot starting and season-long starts. Um, actually, at this point, he's been pitching so well that it's probably not even considered a spot start because you probably have to have him on your roster. But what I like about him, you know, not only the ground balls, but just the contact he's giving up in general has been so consistently good. I mean, we see lots of guys nowadays with – Uh, Fangraft's hard hit rate, hard hit percentage in the mid-30s, you know, into the 40s, he's only gotten two starts all year where he's even allowed a hard hit rate higher than 30%, and one of them was in the low 30s, one of them was in the mid-30s. He's got, you know, three straight starts here with a hard percentage in the low 22%. Like, that's really, really good. The issue from a DFS standpoint, and you mentioned the Dodgers being selective and how he's not in the zone a lot – Uh, you do wonder if he's able to rack up the strikeouts that you need. And because he's pitched so well, the price tag is kind of shocking on him. On DraftKings, for example, he's over $10,000 now. So I'd have a tough time playing him over, you know, Kenton Maida on the other side, who's got a really good strikeout rate. Not going to pitch as deep into the game, but the Rockies are dead last in weighted runs career plus against right hand pitching so uh it comes down to price and like where, where you hope to use them and right now i just think he's overpriced you're not going to get enough strikeouts in this matchup to make it worth it but i think in season long because he's so consistent with forcing that weak contact that it's going to be a good start it's going to help your ratios we just don't care as much about the ratios in dfs
2: yeah, no, that's that's a good point too. Um, you know, I just want to point out that you know, it, right now we've got uh, a game with the Tigers and Twins with Kyle Gibson, who's actually got even worse control than Kyle Freeland. He's walked one Tiger because they're the second worst team in terms of uh, uh, O swing percentage, very unselective lineup, and uh, yet last night, uh, same deal with Lance Lynn, just one walk, uh, mm-hmm. and a guy with he's had major control problems all year so far, so. I think those matchups are impactful, but like you say, maybe you know, kind of takes the back seat to the, the, the strikeout potential.
1: Yeah, what we look at in our projections is a bit more macro, and I think stuff like that that you're pointing out is a really good stuff to flush out tiebreakers and find guys that might be really good for tournaments that other people might be on. Because, And similar to the fly ball thing that I mentioned, there just might be certain matchups, certain parks that are going to affect specific pitchers to a higher magnitude than other pitchers and if we can spot those uh, you might be able to get something that a projection system's not going to catch or the market's not going to catch so if it's somebody uh, like you mentioned a Lance Lynn or a Kyle Gibson who's wild but you're facing a team that you know is just going to swing at everything all of a sudden the fact that they're wild just, it, it's not going to matter as much.
2: Yeah, so well, uh, it's bearing out those those two starts against the Tigers, but uh, well, uh, with a lot of pitcher talk here, uh, and of course there's a lot of pitchers on the slate tonight that aren't very desirable to start, but maybe very desirable to pick against. Uh, who do you think are, are the pitchers that are going to be best to pick on tonight, and maybe some hitters uh, that could be values uh, that would have those matchups? The pitcher we most like to pick on for tonight's play, and this is goes if you're on
1: dailyroader.com, our cover is Homer's off of Homer. And Homer Bailey pitching out home Cincinnati, great park for hitters, not a good park for pitchers. He's just been horrendous both this season and last season. And, you know, we we look at, I think I mentioned this last week, but like weighted on base average ISO, these are kind of the core statistics we look at and develop our, projection system from in in the certain splits and with Homer Bailey uh, we're having a tough time setting those baselines because we generally don't set baselines for a pitcher of a weight on base average you know it's rare we see someone in the 350s where we've set Bailey's baseline but he's actually been around 370 both this season and last season just getting torn up by everyone this year he's allowed over two home runs per nine thus far. His fifth is 6.04. His x dip's 5.41. And uh, you would expect him to have a fifth higher than x dip because his hard hit rate is so high. It's 42%. I mean, we're talking Kyle Freeland, who never had a single start higher than 35%, only had two starts above 30%. Bailey's average for the season is 42%. So you're going to have a home run to fly ball rate that's going to be pretty high. And that's something that, exit not going to account for. So that's going to be lower than where his ERA actually should be. So we really like picking on him. And with Pittsburgh too, it's a giant park shift from their average park uh, at PNC park, which is a good pitcher's park. So it's like this extra boost that isn't totally priced in. And the ownerships you might get on some of these guys are pretty good, even though it seems like it might be an obvious spot, but something drew Dinkmeyer and I were talking about on the premium podcast for today's slate is guys like, uh, Josh Bell at first base first base is so deep. You're just not going to get really high ownership on him. You know, Gregory Polanco in the outfield, uh, the outfield's so deep on this slate that even though these matchups are really good with 10 games on the docket at premium positions, uh, I think you get a lot of upside and they might not be low owned, but I don't think they're going to be super chalky either.
2: All right. Well, uh, great stuff there and uh, a few names for uh, everybody to to think about uh, so you you get your uh, lineups ready for tonight. So, well, Mike, thanks for uh, spending the time with us today and for uh, all of the good analysis and uh, looking forward to having you back on soon. Thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to it as well. All right. Excellent, Mike. All right, folks. Well, a lot more to get to stick around. Be right back after this break. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Fantasy Baseball Hour. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And big thanks again to Mike Leone from DailyRoto.com for joining us in that last segment. Uh, Great stuff. Uh, So you got a little bit of clarity, hopefully, uh, on who to start uh, both pitching and a few Pirates to add to your lineup as well if you haven't done so already. So uh, let's see. Uh, We got through a lot of the lineups Uh, Prior to Mike coming on the show, um, just taking a quick look here, I don't see anything that's really worthy of an update. Uh, So uh, I will just move on to the weather, which also will be very quick because doesn't appear to be any games at all on the schedule that are in danger of uh, any sort of postponement or cancellation. A little bit of rain. Uh, Oh, this is actually, I'm sorry, one of the games in progress in Minnesota. Obviously, that one's undergoing. As far as the nighttime games, though, uh, all is clear. So go set those lineups. Uh, But before you do, uh, let's also uh, check in on what happened yesterday uh, in the games. And uh, also, by the way, before I get to that and before I completely lose track of this, uh, I did look for an Ozuna update and still uh, no explanation as to uh, why he was not in the Cardinals lineup this afternoon. So um, I mentioned earlier in the show some good uh, offensive performances uh, last night. And there seemed to be a theme that a lot of them were coming from the middle infield. Now, the, the one that really drew a lot of attention was Scooter Jeanette hitting his sixth career grand slam. I don't know what it is with Scooter Jeanette and loaded bases, but uh, it's a situation that he seems very comfortable with. Uh, his eighth homer of the year against the Pirates also doubled in that game. It uh, wasn't necessarily a, a big night for Miguel Rojas, but I've talked about him quite a bit uh, on the show the last maybe two to three weeks as his popularity has been growing, and rightfully so, because he's, he's really been hitting with some pretty steady power uh, and, and really profiling much more as uh, not only a power hitter, but somebody who, who's uh, pulling a bit more. And fortunately, uh, you here my colleague uh, right here on Fancy Sports Radio, Scott Engel. You know him, of course, know him from Roto Experts. Scott's been doing a great job reporting uh, from uh, from the Mets games. And so with the Marlins in town, he actually had an opportunity to talk to Miguel Rojas about the success he's been having at the plate this year. So just want to, want to play the sound for you a little bit, because so you can hear in Rojas's own words why he's having so much more success this year.
0: Miguel, you're hitting for more power, it seems, this year than ever before. Is that, uh, is that anything because maybe uh, any adjustments you've made mechanically or anything like that?
3: Yeah, part of it. But I think uh, the the fact is uh, that I'm playing every day now and I have more opportunity to get at bats and uh, to play on a daily basis in this level. And i never done that before. So uh, without the opportunity to play every day, I don't think uh, I would be able to, uh, to do that. Not even uh, uh, getting more hits or whatever, I feel like. All the work that you put in the offseason, uh,
0: uh, when you get the opportunity, is when you can show that you can do it. I don't know if you notice or not. Maybe you don't pay attention to the numbers, but the numbers at least indicate that you're hitting the ball harder than ever before in your career. Do you notice that?
3: Yeah, I don't have to see the numbers. I feel like uh, in the at-bats, like every everything at-bats, I'm hitting the ball hard like at least 5 or 6 times so uh i'm noticing myself that i'm hitting the ball harder and uh when i make even when i make outs i, I hit the ball hard on the ground like right at people and i feel good about myself because uh, when you hit the ball harder you got a better
0: percentage that, that the ball land also you are pulling the ball more it seems uh you know is that something that you want to do or is just uh or it's just, you know, that's the way things are going? Uh, actually,
3: it's uh, uh, I got a story behind that. Uh, when I get to double A with the Dodgers, uh, my coach was Jody Reed, and he told me that um, he thought I was a poor hitter. And uh, he, he she saw me like trying to hit the ball the other way, like slap the ball the other way. And he told me, like, I need to get on the plate, and uh, I need to pull the ball because uh, that's what he thought, uh, the kind of hitter that I was. And uh, I put it in practice, and I started hitting the ball harder and hitting the ball better. And I feel like from that day on, I, I decided to be a pool hitter, even when I can't hit the ball the other way, but I feel like I'm better when I pull the ball. Miguel, thanks a lot. Yeah, anytime,
2: guys. So some pretty interesting uh, analysis from, from Miguel Rojas himself. And, you know, that, that bit towards the end there, talking about working with Jody Reed when he was with the Dodgers uh, and, and Reed had him pull the ball more. Well, it is it, it, it explains a little something in... Rojas has batted ball stats because what's been really notable to me is how prior to this year, uh, during his time with the Marlins, Rojas has been anything but a pole hitter uh, until this year. And particularly on fly balls, he's really taken to to being one of the more pole heavy hitters, uh, pole heavy hitters this year. But with the Dodgers, in fact, he was more of a pole hitter. He was more I wouldn't say he was a pole uh, heavy hitter, but sort of pole neutral. Uh, So that was something that was kind of lost when he came over to the Marlins three seasons ago. So some interesting insight there from Rojas. And uh, I also just like the comment, too. He doesn't need to see the stats. He just knows he's hitting the ball harder, even when he's making outs. Uh, So, you know, that's uh, certainly uh, an encouraging thing to see. see. But uh, he's uh, got a 32% hard hit rate. Uh, He's never had one higher than 23% in his career. So it's no fluke. Uh, He's now up to seven home runs, uh, hitting 265 with the Marlins, playing every day, as he said. So uh, I know that he's gaining in popularity, but uh, I considered picking up Rojas. I'd already picked him up and and tried in other leagues where I didn't succeed, but uh, picking him up in deeper leagues, and I almost picked him up in a 12-team league earlier today. Uh, but I made the discovery that Johan Moncada was also on waivers. Could not pass that up. So Miguel Rojas is not quite up to that level yet, uh, but uh, mo- moving in that direction to be sure. Uh, also, you know, just like uh, Rojas, he's been you know steadily building up his his uh, power stats this year. Even though Tuesday was not a big day for him. Same deal for Dan Robertson of the Rays. Uh, didn't get a hit on Tuesday, did have a sack fly against the Red Sox. But he's worth a mention here because I haven't talked about him in quite a while. And I was doing a search uh, for some other research that I was doing and just did a WOBA sort on second-base eligible players. And much to my surprise, Ozzy Albies was not number one, and he wasn't even number two. Uh, the, The WOBA leader among second basemen is Jed Lowry, which, you know, if you had said that, at the beginning of the season would have been really surprising. But at this point, given what he's been doing, not totally shocking. But Daniel Robertson is second in between Jed Lowry and Ozzie Uh And he's got a 262, 420, 464 slash line. So, uh, again, yeah, a lot of that value is being built on his on-base percentage and on his walk rate, uh, which is not going to be valued the same way in most fantasy formats as it is in, in real baseball, but it's not like he's lacking for power. He's got a 202 ISO. Uh, so for me, the, the, the thing about Robertson is just he needs a little bit more steady playing time and, uh, you know, definitely worth the stash now because it's hard to see how Kevin Cash is going to be able to keep Robertson's bat out of the lineup if he continues to produce the way he has for, for nearly two months now. Uh, Brandon Crawford has also been interesting. He hit his fifth homer on Tuesday against the Astros, and which was pretty much a laugher uh, in favor of the Astros. Right? But Crawford ha- uh, still managed a big game, a uh, two-hit game for him, bringing his batting average up to 309. And the power isn't anything particularly exceptional uh, for him. He had a, a pretty good power-hitting year a few seasons back. Uh, he's basically on a pace to hit somewhere between 15 and 20 home runs this year. So nothing really shocking there, but that three Oh nine batting average for Crawford, it is backed up by uh, a change in approach for him and kind of going the reverse direction of Miguel Rojas, where he's spraying the ball around a lot more and not pulling as much, but also hitting line drives much more often than, than he has before. So whether or not that's something that lasts more than two months, it's hard to say, uh, because even this deep into the season, players could have really great stats that are absolutely backed up by peripherals, but those peripherals could regress just like the surface stats can regress. So I'm not completely bought into Brandon Crawford, but I certainly think he's worth a flyer at this point. Uh, Somebody asked me on Twitter earlier today, should they drop Marcus Simeon for Brandon Crawford? I think that's a good illustration of the value that there's a lot of kind of borderline fringy shortstops out there or middle infielders uh, where you could drop them, try Crawford if he regresses, you could probably you know go back and get you know somebody who's like Simeon. So uh, you know I think that's the situation where you, you could get Brandon Crawford a try. I talked a bit yesterday with Nat Mudeek on the show about Glaber Torres. He continues to hit for power, two for four with his seventh home run of the season against the Texas Rangers. Uh, so you know I had said yesterday before this latest home run that tour. This was something I didn't really expect from Torres. And, you know, part of what I I think I didn't take into account. And I seem to make this mistake every year when the Yankees bring up prospects, whether it's, you know, Greg bird or Gary Sanchez uh, or Aaron judge
0: uh,
2: is that the, the power numbers for their big prospects are typically pretty underwhelming at double a and triple a. And, you know, then you're, you're going from these ballparks that you know, don't have great park factors into Yankee Stadium. So, uh, you know, maybe we're seeing that with labor Torres right now because, uh, you know, he's certainly backing it up by hitting a lot of fly balls and, and having a very high pull rate, having a 30, almost a 38 percent hard contact rate. So, you know, kind of similar deal with Crawford. Is he going to maintain it? I don't know. The peripherals back up what he's doing. But uh remains to be seen. But I think maybe I needed to give Torres a little bit more benefit of the doubt, given, you know, and grant this game is at Texas, which is closer to being a neutral park. But, uh, you know, playing at Yankee Stadium should give Glaber Torres a bit of a power boost. Uh, Austin Meadows enjoyed a power boost at Great American Ballpark, hitting his second home run since his call-up uh, for the Pirates. Uh, so uh, continues to be... Off to a good start there. Now, I didn't see a Marcel Ozuna uh, update. I did see something about uh, Starling Marte, but unfortunately, I wasn't able to really uh, give it a good look. So I'm going to check on it actually right now uh, because that obviously could affect uh, the status of uh, Austin Meadows long-term. And here's the update. That's just new within the past half hour or so that Marte ran the bases today. And, uh, yeah, there's still really no um, ETA for Marte. So basically, you know, he's making slow, steady progress. So, okay, that uh, update wasn't really <laughs> too informative. Hoping I could give you a little bit more insight into how long uh, Meadows might might remain in the lineup. But, uh, you know, the lack of, of a... Timetable, I guess, could be construed as some mildly good news for Meadows and not great for, for Marte, uh, you know, because it's not imminent that Marte is going to be back. Uh, Dacio Puig talked about him last on the show, probably a little more than a week ago, and had talked about how since coming back from the DL, he just had looked very good. Well, uh, I'm not crediting myself with any sort of jinx or anything, but since then, he's been red hot. He homered again on Tuesday night against the Rockies. That's his fifth home run of the season. It's also his fifth home run in his last eight games. I think it's his fifth home run since I last talked about him on air. He also walked twice. Uh, So over his last eight games, he has seven for 22. And again, five of those seven hits are home runs. One of them is a double. And he has walked six times in the last eight games. So, yeah, I think Yasiel Puig is going to be just fine. And Guillermo Haradia, speaking of people who walk a lot, he walked twice against the A's. He's also a little bit of power with his third double of the season, and, of course, with um, Robinson Cano out and D Gordon out now, but eventually coming back to second, maybe very soon. Uh, Heredia does seem pretty well cemented in that starting center field role. He has a 17.6% walk rate and a 439 on-base percentage. Probably not going to see much home run power there from Heredia, but uh, probably good average or at least a decent average, a very good OBP. Uh, and, and some doubles power. So for points leagues, definitely somebody to look at and maybe some deeper roto leagues as well. Uh, some pitching performances worthy of note. Trevor Bauer, six scoreless innings with six Ks against the Chicago Cubs. He's got his ERA down to a tidy 2.35 now. If I'm a Bauer owner, and I'm not in any of my t 10 leagues, and I'm uh, Trevor Bauer owner, but if I were, I'd be trying to sell him right now. I'm not really buying it because... Everything's looking pretty much the same as last year, except he's just not giving up very many home runs. He has a 5.3% home run to fly ball ratio, but in terms of things that might support that, like low exit velocity on fly balls or uh, low fly ball distance, not really showing up for him. He's more sort of middle of the pack there, so I think there may be some home run and ERA regression in Trevor Bauer's future. I talked about Lance Lynn a little bit earlier. Six scoreless innings, only one walk against the Tigers. I am crediting that one to the matchup for Lynn. Uh, until uh, we see more consistent improvement in his walk rate, uh, good start from Matt Harvey uh, for the uh, for the Reds against the Pirates. One run in six innings on three hits and two walks with five Ks. Another situation where uh, that's very encouraging, but I'd like to see Harvey build on that. Caleb Smith made good on a good favorable matchup with the Mets, who are not uh, very potent against left-handed pitchers. And the trend continues there. Six and two-thirds innings, one run on three hits, two walks, and eight Ks for Caleb Smith getting back on track with that one. And then a a good pitcher's duel uh, right up until uh, towards the end of the game when the White Sox rallied uh, against Orioles' bullpen and and in particular against... um, Uh, Michael Givens, but uh, Kevin Gosman going six innings deep, no runs, nine hits, a walk, and 10 Ks for him. And on the other side, uh, James Shields, who I talked about on yesterday's show, who's really been good in the month of May, has been good all season long in terms of avoiding hard contact, but getting better in terms of the strikeout-to-walk ratio. Uh, That continued against the Orioles, seven innings, two runs on five hits, only two walks. Very encouraging to see five Ks for Shields. Uh, he's looking more and more like somebody you could start to trust in deeper leagues. Trevor Cahill was somebody I expressed some skepticism about yesterday, uh, but he was just fine against the the Mariners. Only three strikeouts in seven innings, but also only two runs allowed. And finally, this has all been good stuff up to this point. But Domingo Herman is uh, certainly on the bubble of being droppable in a, in uh, at least twelve team leagues. Probably not quite yet in fifteen team, but three and two thirds. Six runs given up to the Texas Rangers, four hits and three walks, but and here's what the, the part why you may hesitate on dropping Herman. He did get six strikeouts. So uh a very uneven performance there for uh for Hermann, very wild in this game. Um so you know, maybe you stash for the next start or two before you drop. I think maybe in a ten teamer or possibly in a twelve teamer. Uh, you, you could probably let him go, though. So uh, that that's a wrap. That is a wrap for this show. So uh, thanks again to Mike Leone from DailyRoto.com for joining us earlier on. And tomorrow's a big day, and not just because it's Bartolo Colon's birthday, but because it's Nando Thursday. So be sure to join us for that. Same time, same place right here. And uh, go watch the baseball mountain. Have a good one, everybody.